0: You bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. God, we're here to praise you, to declare your name. And God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. In your name we pray, amen. I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever felt like you have been wronged by somebody? Mm-hmm. All right, Tom. <laughs> right? You know, by a co-worker, a family member, somebody at church. You know, you, you were in the right. You were in a place. You were doing the right thing. You were, you, were, you were right there. And somebody else made some decisions that impacted you negatively. You know, this could be a minor thing. Or this could be something significant. You know, it could either go either way. Have you ever experienced that, that? Right? Yes. All right. This morning, for those of you who are here and those who are uh, watching us on stream, I want you to just hold a memory where you were wronged. Right? Just think about that. I want you to find yourself in that space. And I want you to think about what emotions did you experience when you were feeling that way? When you were feeling wronged, what emotions did you feel? Did you feel angry? Did you get mad? See, when someone wrongs me like that, I feel, I, I experience emotions of anger, of betrayal. I feel like people have betrayed me, those who were supposed to stand up for me didn't, I felt insignificant. I was like, how could they do this to me? Do they not know who I was? And when this happened for me personally, I had this deep sense of hurt as well. I'm sure you have experienced those range of emotions as well. And one of the things that we do when we find ourselves where we are hurt by somebody else, when we are wronged by others, one of the things that we tend to do is we either fight or flight. We either fight the person in front of us or we flight. We walk away. The hurt is so big that we just want to fight them. Sometimes I feel like my... Emotions and anger was so high <laughs> that it was much worse than the hurt that I had received. And the crazy part was I justified my anger. I justified my anger saying, they deserved my anger because they wronged me. They deserved it. And sometimes when we do that flight thing, when we walk away, You know, we justify that too. They say, well, they deserved it. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. I'm not going to see them anymore. They are fill in the blank. See, this morning, uh, Paul uh, is telling to the Thessalonian church that he was suffered a great deal, outrageously suffered a great deal. The word is outrageous. So, what did Paul go through that he had to use uh, such strong language to describe the hurt and, the, and what he had experienced? So we need to go back to Acts chapter 16. So Paul and Silas uh, were preaching in the city called Philippi. And they started a small church there. And a woman named Lydia joined the church. She came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were others who were there as well. And then one day a slave girl who was possessed by a demon spirit, was annoying Paul. And so Paul finally freed this woman from the demonic spirit that possessed her. She, he finally was able to break the chains of oppression that were clouding and chaining her down to her soul. She was finally free. And Paul and Silas ended up on the receiving end of that miracle. See, the the town of Philippi, they gathered up Paul and Silas and they took them to the magistrate and they accused them of doing things that are not proper as Romans. And they were beaten. They were stripped naked. They were beaten and then thrown in prison. See, what makes this incident outrageous is not Paul healing this girl who was, had a demonic spirit. What makes this so outrageous for Paul is Paul and Silas both were Roman citizens. They both were Roman citizens, so they deserved a significant trial before they stripped them naked and beat them up and threw them in prison. See, that was what was outrageous about it. And so Paul had a choice here. He could fight or flight. He could fight and be angry towards the magistrate for how they completely failed another Roman citizen in providing justice for them. Paul could have had negative or really bad feelings towards the city of Philippi and the people who caused them hurt. Paul could have been bitter towards the authorities that imprisoned them. But Paul didn't do that. This is what we read. Verses one and two in Thessalonians, you know, brothers, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, he's saying, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. See, Paul suffered a great deal, and yet he was still doing God's work. Paul was willing to continue the work of sharing the gospel to the Thessalonians church. In Thessalonians 2, I believe Paul is teaching the church how to be a community, even though you might feel like you have been wronged. He's giving us the building blocks as to how to be a church. At times, our experiences can either make us fight or flight, as I was saying, and that is true for the church as well. At some times, we want to yell at everyone at church because we feel like we've been wronged. Sometimes we feel like walking away from church. I want to share two principles, two building blocks, if you will, as to how we can be a community together. How we can do life together. Last week, I ended my sermon from 1 Thessalonians 1 saying that Christian life is something that we need to do every day. It's a lifelong commitment. We, as John Wesley says it, we are working towards perfection. So each day we confess our sins and we come before God. And this is a process. It's not a once and done thing. We go after it. Each and every day. And in chapter 2 of Thessalonians, Paul is telling us how to be a community together. How to be a church family together. And so Paul is sharing with this church as to how he lived amongst them. And I think we need to follow the principles that Paul did and follow his example. In verse 3, uh, first thing he says, uh, uh, Paul tells his church is not to have impure motives. He came to the church with the gospel and not impure morse- motives. See, friends, if you are breathing and living and in church or watching this, I want to remind you that we, each one of us, is driven to do things, no matter who you are. No matter who you are, each one of us is driven to do things. There's something inside of us that drives us. Either you want to be rich and famous or you want to be the best. I mean, the best at sitting on a couch and binging TV for 12 hours. Right? There is something that drives us no matter who you are. And those drivers lead us to actions. And the question that Paul is asking us is when you are being part of a community, do not have wrong motives. Because Paul experienced this. Paul saw the negative impact of people being in church with wrong motives. This is what he writes to the church in Philippi, um, in Philippians 1.15. He's seen this. He's witnessed this. And this is what he tells them. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here to defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. See, Paul is clear in saying that those who preach the gospel, who are part of the community, do not have the right motives. They're part of the church for a selfish ambition. The motives are not centered around Christ, but rather centered around themselves. They don't wanna build the church of Christ, but rather they wanna advance their own selfish agenda. See, not having impure motives is a hard one for us to understand in this context of community. For one, we cannot read somebody else's mind. Can you read somebody else's mind? You can't. You can't read my mind and say, this is what the pastor is thinking today. And that's the reason he did X. I can't say that about you either. I cannot say, I cannot read your mind. I don't know what you're thinking because I don't know what you're thinking. I can't necessarily say if it's a wrong or a right motive for you. So that's the first thing that we have trouble with. We can't read each other's minds. And the second one is when it comes to wrong motives or being thinking about a selfish motive in the context of community, the way we begin to see this is if you're doing something that I don't like, It can very easily say you have an impure motive because you're not doing what I'm doing. You know, we come to that impasse. We can accuse each other that the other one has impure motives in the context of community. So how do we find out if we have impure motives? Friends, I want to tell you that this is extremely personal and requires some deep reflections and introspection. I think the best way for us to live in this community without impure motive is to do this simple test. When you are getting upset, when you feel like something is not going your way, when you want to fight or flight, When you want to let everyone know in church that they are wrong and that things are going out of control, when you find yourself in that space, I want you to ask yourself why you're feeling that way. What is it about this decision that is upsetting you? Ask yourself the question, do the actions taken by the church help others? Or hurt those on the margins see when we are in a community friends we need to consider and see that we are meeting the needs of everyone there needs to be a sense of shared sacrifice when you cannot see a sense of shared sacrifice as a community and insist on your own way then you might have an impure motive. Let me repeat that. When we are in a community, we need to consider and see that we are meeting the needs of everyone. There needs to be a sense of shared sacrifice. That's how we are going to be a church together. The second building block that Paul uh, talks about is something that is dear to me. We read the following in verse 8. We cared for you because we loved you so much. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of, of God, but our lives as well. Here Paul is talking about the love that he has for the church. The words that he uses, we cared for you because we loved you. We delighted to share. These words are words of warmth. Yeah, when you read those words, you know that Paul truly cared for the church in Thessalonians. His love for the church is evident. This is what I want to focus on today as the second building block in order for us to be a community. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul shared his life with the people. They did life together. There There was a sense that the church knew who Paul was, what Paul's desires were, his hopes were. And Paul knew the desires and the hopes of the church as well. There is that sense of family. In verse 7, actually, Paul uses the imagery of a mother caring for children. Further emphasizing that church is a family. Share our lives together. It is important for us to be a church together. If we are not sharing our lives together... If you're not doing that, as Paul said, we were delighted to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. If we are not doing that as Mount Hope United Methodist Church, I'm just a tele-evangelist on TV or on your phone or on your tablet or on your computer. There is no sense of community. There is no sense of doing life together turn off the TV and you go on with your life. Friends, we are called to do life together. This is a high priority for me as your lead pastor and everyone on our pastoral staff as well. See, last year, we started doing this monthly game nights where um, we started doing life together. We would come together in Haberset Hall. I cooked a meal uh, each month and we played a bunch of board games. There was babysitting and different things that were there. I got one of the best compliments. Uh, one, um, one night, Kate Vickers said that I make the best guacamole. I was like, all right, that's pretty good. Then in the spring, we started doing Lennon Bible studies. We started doing life together again. We had this outpouring of people sitting together and reading the Bible together. There was this outpouring in our group, we had about uh, the group that I was leading on Wednesday nights. We had about twenty-five uh, people members in that group, and we and I would cook a meal every week uh, for this group. We provided babysitting, and we were starting to do life together. During those conversations, I've heard as to how. Mount Hope UMC has provided radical hospitality to each one of you and how how God is calling us to do the same for others. But friends, this pandemic has created a huge impact on how we do life together. We cannot provide coffee fellowship after church. I need to bring my own coffee. I have like two mugs of coffee sitting in my office. Now that is bad. We're no longer allowed to break bread together. That's how we did life together. And many of us are feeling isolated and not connected. We might have feelings like the church has forgotten about us. We Might feel resigned not to come back to church anymore. Or to go and be part of a Bible study. Friends, if those thoughts are resonating with you today, I want you to do something. If you're feeling this way, I want you to do something for me. What I'm about to say is one of the hardest things you will ever have done. See, because when you're feeling isolated, when you are feeling disconnected, when you are feeling alone and lonely from your church family, you want someone from the church to reach out to you. You want the pastor to call you and say, Hey, I'm praying for you. You want to receive a text message or an email from a friend or a pastor. See that used to happen. See, when you didn't come to church for three or four weeks, one of the pastoral staff would reach out to you and say, hey, we haven't seen you in church for a couple of weeks. Last year, I did that a lot. Um, my first year here, I did that a lot. And I got the text back saying, oh, we are at the shore for the whole summer. We will see you in September. It's like, all right. And you know, our pastor George would come and do his visits with you. He would come and sit with you, talk with you. And after he came and visited with you, he would come into my office and said, Hey, Johnson, you got to follow up with these three people. They're going in for a surgery. And then as pastors, we would come and sit with you in the hospital. Before you went in for your surgery, we would pray with you next to your hospital bed. But that is not our current reality. We can no longer do things that way. The reason we're not able to reach out to you is because we don't know who's hurting. Because we don't know who's feeling isolated and alone away from church. Friends, this morning, I want to reach out to you and say, if you find yourself in that space, we ask that you would call us. Please call the church office and say, I'd like to talk to a pastor and we'll reach out to you. Because we want to do life together. Let me repeat these words that resonate so well with where I am. We care for you. We care for you because we love you so much. We are delighted to share the, not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We want that to be a reality here at Mount Hope. So could you please reach out to us? Could you please email us so that we can feel connected again as a church family? Amen.